0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable: Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Good morning, everyone. We are in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you turn there, it's so great to see that video about just our efforts uh, into digital. As we know, not only because of COVID, but just the way communication is going, more and more is happening through online platforms. And so if you didn't get a handout on your way in, you can grab it on the way back, scan the QR code, and learn more about what we're doing to that end. Also, if you missed the annual celebration last Sunday, uh, it's available online. You can go to our YouTube channel, you can go to our media channel, and then just. Uh, just here, uh, some great testimonies of God's faithfulness to our church family all throughout the last year, but also some important information about our church family. Well, First Peter chapter two, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want the gospel of Jesus, the message that you sent your son to die for our sins and you raised him from the dead to go out far and wide, to go deep within us. Lord, we pray for the Woodside Runners who will be running next weekend for the Thailand Orphans and Mission. Lord, bless and multiply their efforts. So wonderful, so important. Father, today we ask that our belief in the Lord Jesus would overcome the idols of our hearts and our culture. Mold us now, Lord, by your word. Speak to us. Make us humble, Lord. Open our hearts to be receptive. Father, we trust that when we come to you in faith, you will do exactly that. Because you are a kind, good, merciful God. Give me clarity, Lord. Be with us in this hour. Take away all the distractions here and at home that could take us away. From your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. The apostle says, As you come to Him, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. word of the Lord. I want to begin today where we ended last week. Last week we said that Peter was teaching us to crave the pure spiritual milk of the goodness of God if we've tasted that the Lord is good. And we said that it's much, uh, much harder for us to think about God in terms of his goodness. We're much more used to thinking about God in terms of his holiness and our respect for that holiness. We think about God in terms of his judgment and our sin that incurs judgment. Those attributes of God and our responses to them have a place but they're not the first or the main way that someone who's experienced the gospel responds to God because in the gospel we've come to know we've come to taste the goodness of God and Peter is banking on that experience of goodness to then exhort us to crave more of it let me give you an example we have a member of our church family. Her name is Belinda. She's from Canada. She is, uh, whoo, yes, she has some fans here. And uh, she is a medical student, and she needed a place to, uh, to live uh, right here in our area so that she could finish her last semester of medical school. And so this was a big need for her, and we prayed, and the Lord provided Andrea, who's another great uh, member of our church family. And so um, God provided Andrea, and Melinda moved in, which was it greatly benefited Belinda. But then soon after that, COVID hit. And now Andrea, who's a single mom and had a child now at home from school, um, and she still needed to go to work because she was deemed essential. Now she needed help. But guess what? Now Belinda was in her house. And even though as as medical students, you guys know, they're so busy, she still had the time to help take care of Andrea's son. And so it's an amazing story because when Andrea opened her home to Belinda, All she thought she was doing was just being obedient to God, right? Opening her her home, offering hospitality to someone in need. She didn't know that God was going ahead of her because God knew that COVID was coming. And so she was preparing the way so that when the need came and she needed help with her son, Belinda would be there to help and take care of this need. It's amazing, but God does things like this all the time. I'm sure that you've seen God do these kinds of things in your life. But you see, for both of them, for Belinda and for Andrea, see, they were tasting the goodness of God. And having seen all of that, for Belinda, you know, she would definitely say, thank you, Lord, for, for providing a home for me. Thank you for answering my prayer. Now, what is that? That is her tasting the goodness of God. And after you know you've tasted that goodness, the next thing is what Peter says to us here is you crave more of it. You want more of his goodness. Same thing goes for Andrea. But you see, when someone doesn't know God and something like that, an arrangement like that happens in their lives, they go, Man, I was so lucky. Wow, what a coincidence. How serendipitous. But Peter is writing to Christians who have tasted the goodness of God and he's banking on that experience of goodness of God to now exhort us to crave more of it. He says, long for the pure spiritual milk of the goodness of God. And I wanted to start with that today because I want you to make the jump from I fear God, I respect God to I've tasted the goodness of God. It will change your life. It's not that you don't respect God anymore, that you don't fear him anymore, but rather you are so filled with his goodness that the walls of your life the walls of your house so to speak are painted with god's goodness and it's transformative there's a very important sense in which jesus when he says to us i am the bread of life expects us to find him delicious And in a place like that is where the text today starts because now Peter talks to us about Jesus being precious. Having great worth like a rare, expensive gem. And so let's dig right in. Recognize your place in the house of God. First Peter 2 verse 4. He says, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and Precious, there it is. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now remember that Peter is writing to Christians who were likely to have been expelled from Rome when the Emperor Claudius kicked out the Jews from Rome, which would have included many Christians. Remember also that in chapter 1, Peter told us that the Christians were going through various trials because of their faith. These would include social ostracizing, ridicule, slander, loss of opportunity, and many other unjust forms of suffering. So with that background in mind, Peter now begins to unpack the reason for that unjust suffering, and that is the rejection of Jesus Christ himself by many. And he dives into this metaphor of a house, a building, and of the stones that make it up. He begins by saying that Jesus is a living stone chosen by God, Precious in God's side, but rejected by men. There are three different Old Testament texts that speak of God or his Messiah uh, in terms of uh, of a stone. Two in Isaiah, one in Psalms. Jesus picks up the one in Psalm 118 uh, as he explains Israel's rejection of him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record Jesus' teaching on this in the parable of the wicked tenants. Now, this is a parable that Jesus tells when he's his last time in Jerusalem, just a few days from his execution. And in the parable, Jesus says that there was an owner who planted a vineyard, left it to some tenants, and then went away on a journey. When the time came to collect the fruit from the vineyard, he sent a servant, but the tenants beat the servant, and sent him away empty-handed. So the owner sent another one, and they did the same. He sent a third one, and they did the same. And so finally, the owner sent his son, thinking they will respect my son. But instead, the tenants killed the son, because they thought, if we kill the heir, the inheritance will be ours. And then Jesus asked the question, what then will the owner do to those tenants? He will come and destroy them and give the vineyard to others. Now, when Jesus said this, his audience was horrified because they knew that he had spoken that against them. And then Jesus poses the question where he brings Psalm 118. He says, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on it will be broken to pieces and him on whom it falls will be crushed. Now, what does all of that mean? The vineyard is the covenant that God made with Israel. And he gave it to them, and he expected to find fruit, the fruit of righteousness and justice, but instead he found bloodshed. And so God sends prophet after prophet to Israel asking, where is the fruit? Where is my fruit? But Israel got rid of each one of them and did not listen. And so finally God sent his son, but they killed the son. Now that last bit, Jesus is telling them prophetically because they haven't killed him yet, but they're about to. And so God takes a covenant and he gives it to others who will bear fruit. Now you fast forward uh, some time and then Peter is in Jerusalem after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he is preaching and he's speaking before the council, giving account for how a crippled man who was older than 40 years old was now able to walk. And Peter's giving a defense for how this happened. And he says, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And then Peter quotes the same text Jesus did from Psalm 118. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. You know how we sing that song, Cornerstone? It comes from texts like this one in Psalm 118. So now in first Peter, Peter tells us that Jesus is the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And not only does he say that Jesus is a living stone, but then he tells us that we individually and as a church body are also living stones and we're being built up into a spiritual house. Look at verse five. He says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful Image. In the Old Old Testament, in the temple, the temple was made of stones, dead stones. And in the temple, the priests would offer animal sacrifices. But now Peter says that for us who are in Christ, we are now the temple. And this temple is made of stones, but the stones are living. So the temple for us as Christians is not this building, it's this. Us, the people of God, it's made of living stones. And not only that, we are also the holy priesthood. And not only that, we are also the spiritual sacrifices. So we don't offer animal sacrifices. Rather, we offer spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are the temple. We are the priesthood. We are the sacrifices. Now, what kind of sacrifices do we offer? Well, Peter doesn't go into it right here, but he has told us earlier that we are to be holy in all of our conduct. Chapter 1, verse 15. Earlier before that, he told us that we are being sanctified for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. So our spiritual sacrifices today are everything that we do in obedience to Jesus Christ, which is being sanctified by the Spirit of God. So, Jesus Christ, the, the body of Jesus was the last and effectual sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. But then when we are in him, our entire life is a sacrifice. It's a spiritual sacrifice of worship. It's not for the forgiveness of sins. It's a part of our worship. Do you see? And so when Andrea opened her home to Belinda, that was a spiritual sacrifice. When Belinda offered to help Andrea's son, that was a spiritual sacrifice. When the band members come here, I mean, from seven in the morning to one, 1.30 to help us worship, that's a spiritual sacrifice for them. When you open your home to host your group or when you mentor someone in the Lord or when you join the work that God is doing in our church family through groups and through every other ministry, those are spiritual sacrifices. Now, it's important for us to notice that we are being built up, he says, we are being built up into a spiritual house. We are not isolated stones scattered along the way, nor are we a stone in a pile without purpose somewhere. No, we are interlocking one with another as God builds this edifice of great significance And so my question to us is, are you a living stone, meaningfully related to the body of Christ, to the spiritual house that God is building? Or are you an isolated, scattered stone somewhere or a stone in a pile with a purpose? Recognize your place in the house of God. You're a living stone, not a rolling stone. Number two, don't stumble over the word of God. Don't stumble over the word of God. So now, availing himself of these three Old Testament texts, Peter hones in on the two building projects that are going on right now in the world— God's building project and the building project of those who reject God's precious stone. Look at verse 6. He goes on. And here he quotes the three texts that talk, uh, that talk about stone imagery. Verse 6. For it stands in scripture. Here he quotes Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, here he quotes Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and Isaiah eight fourteen: a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. What's clear here is that the same stone is chosen and precious in the sight of God, but rejected by men. God says... Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a precious, a cornerstone. But that same stone becomes a stone of of, uh, stumbling and offense. You know, the the inclusive, the, the pervasiveness of language of inclusivity in our culture can make us forget how Jesus divides all of humankind into two groups and two groups only. Those who receive him who believe in him who see him as chosen and as precious in their sight because he's chosen and precious in god's sight and those who reject him and yet that is the stone this rejected stone by men is the stone that becomes the cornerstone it says the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone the image here is of a construction job site where you have lots of workers. There's lots of big stones and they're looking for the stones to begin the building. And there's a stone over there, a big one, but they pass over it because they see it as of little value. But that's the one. That's the stone that becomes the cornerstone, meaning the foundational stone for the entire building project. Now, why do they stumble over this stone? And he says, Peter says, because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The rejection of Jesus as as Jesus himself and the apostles employ this language of the stone imagery from the Old Testament goes from the rejection of the uh, leaders of Jerusalem, then to the whole Israelite nation, and then to the Gentile world that does not accept him. So in the Gospels and in Acts, they use these kinds of texts to speak up against the rejection of the Jerusalem leaders against Jesus. Then in Romans 9, Peter, uh, Paul uses the same kind of language to speak of the rejection of Israel as a nation. So it's amplifying of Jesus Christ. And then finally, here in 1 Peter, he talks about the Gentile non-Jewish nations who do not believe in the Lord. Here's the thing. Everyone who hears about Jesus is confronted with God's precious stone. And either they see him as chosen, either you see him as chosen and precious because he's chosen and precious in God's side, or you reject him. And therefore you stumble over him and it says you will be ashamed. But there is no neutral position when it comes to Jesus. Jesus has from the very beginning, been dividing families. He's been exposing human pride. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's important that we who live in a pluralistic society hear this word today. I remember when I was a young Christian and I resented, I resented the exclusivity of these claims. I didn't like it. I didn't want it to be so radical. I didn't want it to be true that Jesus, the people apart from him were utterly and forever lost. I didn't like that. I wrestled with this for months and months. And what helped me overcome was continuing to listen to his word and immersing myself in the building project that God is doing right now. I began to taste the goodness of God. And I kept on tasting it. And it kept refining my mindset and and my desires and my feelings and all of these things and i was finally able to see that there is no life for me or anyone apart from jesus christ this is not just a point of doctrine you guys this is a matter of how god has designed the universe jesus is god's cornerstone and so build your life on the cornerstone of christ Build your life on the cornerstone of Christ. Peter says that the honor will be to you if you believe. Build your life on anything else, and you'll stumble and be ashamed. You see, there are two building projects at work in the world right now. God's building project with Jesus as the cornerstone and the building project of everyone else who rejects him. And so in light of those two building projects at work in the world right now, I wanna leave you with two exhortations, one on politics, one on money. How's that for a church growth strategy? You know, I really wanna grow the church in 2020. Let's talk about two softballs politics and giving away your money. Any takers? Yes, we gotta talk about it. All right, let's start with politics. Here's the exhortation I wanna leave you with take your place in the spiritual house, take your place in God's spiritual house. I said a few weeks ago that the most radically political thing you can do is to be wholly immersed in the life of the church. Let me give you a defense of that statement. We've been saying in the last few weeks that the church is utterly political because we answer to the rightful king of the universe who says, who claims all authority in heaven and on earth. We've also said that his kingdom advances and is sustained By the power of his word, and only what his word builds will last forever. The kingdom of God does not advance, we've been saying, by the power of the sword or by the enacting of civil policy or political policy. Those are the means, the sword and the rule of civil law, those are the means of the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of God advances through the power of God's word. And so what's our role as Christians, as followers of Christ in the kingdoms and nations of the world? And the answer is that we're ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 5. We represent the king and his kingdom to the nations. We represent his love, his forgiveness, his justice, the utter lack of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander in his ways. So how do we do this? By advocating for certain policies and not for others? Well, sure, but that's not the beginning or the end of it. Not even close. There is far more to it. It's far more complex, and it's far more personal and it demands far more from you. Let me give you a few examples. Let's take some of the hot political topics in our nation right now. The poor, the needy, taxes, race relations, immigration. Let's take the poor or those in need. We have a beloved member of our church family who needed a ramp outside of her house so that her son-in-law, who's been paralyzed for years, could go outdoors big need and so many in the in the church family came together and gave money and designed the ramp and constructed the ramp for her and for her son-in-law do you see now helping the needy is no longer theoretical or merely political now it has a face it has a name do you see do you see how what the gospel calls us to do takes more than our vote it takes our compassion, our money, our time, or take the issue of taxes. We know that the situation, the financial situation for millions of Americans is bleak. And I love what Chuck Inema and others have been doing, doing for years for the families of the church family through FPU, Financial Peace University, trying to educate them and help them get a handle on their debt. Not only that, get rid of it. But you see what that does? It begins to, through his and their investment in these people's lives, they're beginning to change the trajectory, the financial trajectory of many families that's so much more involved. Or take the issue of race relations. We know the work that Joe and Heather Versalino through Shiloh, and many of you who've been a part of this, have been doing with children and young people in Detroit. And the amazing impact that this makes as they have these godly and responsible mother and father figures and big brothers and big sisters cheering them on. This has the potential of changing the way that black people see white people and white people see black people for generations. Or take the issue of refugees and immigration. Just recently, Eric and Susie Schindler, God put it on their heart to help this lady they know back from Wisconsin, some, a mother of two who's from another country and who needed a car. She was using, even in the winter, she's been the, the, the object of so much abuse and mistreatment. And she had a bicycle. That's all she had to go get her kids, even in the winter, from school and back and forth. And so God put it on their hearts to raise money for a car for them. And many of you and others brought, you know, got the money together and blessed her with a car. Listen, we could go issue after issue after issue, but I think you get the picture. It's under the grace of the rightful king of the universe that we begin to learn what it means to correct oppression and correct oppression we must but it happens as we proclaim the gospel of jesus christ and as we get our hands dirty as instruments of healing in the in the lives of countless men and women brothers and sisters what happens as we do that is that god transforms us and our witness as ambassadors for the eternal kingdom of god to the watching world becomes bright and compelling But you must be immersed in the life of the church. Don't tell me you care about politics or our nation and not be involved in the life of the church. Let me quote to you Jonathan Lehman from his book, How the Nations Rage. Listen to him. He's a pastor in the D.C. area. He says, if you claim to care about politics and you are not an active member of a local church, I'm tempted to think you don't understand politics at all. You are like someone who claims to love cars because you play with matchbox cars on the floor making vroom, vroom noises. How easy it is to make pronouncements on political policies from afar. Get up, climb inside a real car and turn on the ignition. Join a church and figure out how to love the person who looks different from you or who makes a lot more or less money than you or who even sins against you. Real politics begins not with your political opinions, but with your everyday decisions. Not with public advocacy, but with personal affections. Not all by your lonesome, but with a people. Listen to me. We've all inherited our political thinking from the binary options that are given to us in our country from the left and the right. Democrat and Republican. But if you're a Christian, you must think for yourself. And you must think with scripture. The options on the menu are chicken or beef. But what if you want fish? I tell you for a fact that when it comes to politics in our nation, the gospel is neither chicken nor beef. And where our thinking, our political and otherwise thinking, is shaped and reshaped is in the crucible of the sticky relationships that are only possible within the church. So take your place in the spiritual house. Do not be an isolated, scattered stone rolling about, nor be a stone in a pile without purpose somewhere. The most radically political thing you can do with your life is to be fully immersed in God's building project. Lastly, money. Do not neglect financial giving as a spiritual sacrifice. Peter has taught us today through this text that we Christians are a spiritual house for a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God. So we are the temple, we are the priesthood, and we are the sacrifices. So let me talk to you about financial giving. If you look in your bulletins, I hope you grabbed one on your way in. They're back. We haven't had them for a while. But if you look in your bulletins, you look in the middle page there, on the lower right-hand corner, you will see that we in Royal Oak are about 10% under budget for this year, or 77000 dollars in the red as a campus. So let me say a few things about this. First of all, I am incredibly thankful to the Lord because he has been incredibly kind to us. He's been so kind to us. I thank him for this church family and for your generosity because year after year since I've been here, we've given more and more to our gospel mission. And the result has been that our gospel witness has grown, but also we've grown as a leadership, which means that we now have leadership resources to extend to four other campuses within our church family. Dearborn, the campus at Dearborn is one of those campuses that we offer leadership to. And this past summer, they were able to do so much food distribution to people in need in their community, that the people from their community, this is so amazing, just made this, Things, uh, thank you video for them that I'm going to show you after we finish here. But it's just, there's amazing things that God is doing through our church family. And I know that he will provide everything that we need. I also want to say that if you are in need financially, please let us know. You may recall that earlier this year, we replenished our deacon fund. Back when we were in lockdown, I mentioned this to you, and you guys gave. And so we we're able to replenish that. That deacon fund goes uh, exclusively to meet the needs, the material needs of members of our church family. So we could build the ramp, like I said earlier, for you know, this widow in our church family. And so, if through the pandemic you find yourself with less financial means, you have some legitimate needs, please talk to us. We have a wonderful team of male and female deacons who examine every request that comes in. They do it promptly and with compassion. So do let us know. I also want to say to those of you who've been faithfully giving throughout the year, thank you. Thank you. I know that when things are and feel uncertain, the instinct of preservation kicks in and we want to hoard, to stop giving to hold on to what we think we can control. But we know that the gospel calls us to trust God, to let go and to give, and not to give when it's comfortable and cushy, when it comes from our ample reserves, but to give when it hurts, to give beyond our ability. And that takes an incredible amount of trust in God. And so I want to thank those of you who've been trusting God and believing that the collective gospel work we do as a church family is the most important work taking place anywhere in the world. Thank you. Now, I also want to talk to those of you who don't give and... You would consider yourself a follower of Christ. You'd consider this your church home, and you have income, meaning you're healthy, you have vigor, you have a career, you have um, talent. If you started giving, our budget deficit would be gone in a second. It would be gone. We have far more people and have more people of means here than we have need right now. But have you asked yourself why you don't give? Maybe you weren't taught by your parents or by another teacher. You weren't taught that before you set aside, listen to me, maybe you were never taught, so I'm teaching you right now, that before you set aside your rent or mortgage, you set aside the tithes, giving back to God, your offerings to God. It's the first thing. We always give to God from our first fruits, not from the leftovers ever why why would we do that just think of one reason why we would give to god from the first because he gave us his son it doesn't get any more first fruits than that not even close I mean, yes, God sent prophet after prophet saying, where's the fruit? Where's the righteousness and justice I'm looking for in my people? But then they did not listen to them. And so he sent his son, his chosen precious son, though he knew that we would reject him. He knew that we would spit upon him and beat him and punch him and nail him to a cross. But he sent him, he gave him to us because apart from him, we would have nothing. And so Christ being incredibly rich became poor for us. That's why we give God from our best, Now, from what's left when you've paid for all your Starbucks and everything else. I was taught this lesson when I was a young Christian. As soon as I became a Christian, and so as a college student, I gave $20 each week. Because I made like $180 or something. But that hurt. I know it's just 20 but it hurt. I, I was like, this is 10 pieces of fried chicken that I could buy down the street from my college campus. And that would have been a treat Tuna was the staple, right? But maybe you were never taught to give. The grace of giving, the joy of giving. But how long are you going to use that excuse? Really? You have the Bible. You've read the Gospels. I trust you've read the Gospels and everything Jesus says about giving. You have other Christians, many Christians around you, who can share with you their testimony about how God taught them to give. From joy, not from obligation. And so you can begin learning and putting into practice this grace of giving. Listen, Jesus was dead serious when he said that you cannot, we cannot serve both God and money. So make your choice. And I'm I'm addressing also our young professionals. We have many young people in our church, and I love that. I love watching what God is doing in your lives. It's beautiful, it's amazing, but many of you don't give. Have you asked yourself why you don't give? Maybe, as I said before, maybe you were never taught, but now you have been. So what are you going to do about it? You see, my prayer is that the evidence that we're building our lives on the cornerstone of Christ will be how much we are in the Word of God. And how much we talk about Jesus and how much we give to his mission and how radically different we approach politics and how different our sexual ethic is from that in our culture. So build your life on the solid rock of Christ, the cornerstone of Christ, and do not neglect financial giving as a spiritual sacrifice. There are many ways to give. You know, you can give online. You can give in the box out there. You can text to give. You can do it on on your app. It's a great way for parents, now that we don't pass the plate, to teach their children about giving so that they can still see what it is or else they will grow up and they will not know what to give, how much we give and why. You can give in those other ways. Church, let me close with this. The summons of Jesus on our lives is absolute. Either he's the cornerstone of your life, chosen and precious in your sight because he's chosen and precious in God's sight, or you, along with the rest of the world, reject him. There is no middle ground. Build your life. Build your life on the cornerstone of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We give you thanks for your word. We love your word, God. And we are learning to taste that you are good. We're tasting that pure spiritual milk that we learned about last week. Thank you, Father. Thank you for being so kind to us, for giving us your son, your precious son. Though you knew we reject him. Though you knew that the nations would continue to rage against him. But you also knew that to many, to millions and billions, he would be chosen, and precious. And so honor would come to us through him. And we thank you for our Lord and Savior. And we pray that you would help us to be living stones, interlocking one with another as you build this incredible edifice, as we are ambassadors for Christ wherever you send us. I pray, Lord, that we would see Jesus as precious, Always. I thank you, Lord, for the way that we're able to increase our gospel witness, increase the leadership that we offer. I thank you for the campus at Dearborn and all that they've done to love their community, especially through the summer, to people in need. Continue blessing them, God. Pray that many would come to know your son through their testimony and witness. We love you, God. Help us build our lives on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and him alone. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.